Welcome to the Larry Kreider's Leadership Podcast. Larry is the author of over 40 books, the founder of Dove International, a worldwide family of churches and ministries in six continents, and has over 50 years of leadership experience. He and his guests will share inspirational leadership insights from their journey with God. These insights, gleaned from serving leaders in many nations, will transform your life and leadership. For more information on Larry's books and resources, visit LarryKreider.com. We're so glad you joined us for another discussion on leadership. With me is Merle Shank. Man, uh, it's so good to be here with you, Larry. And today we're actually going to do something a little bit different for our viewers, where you get to interview so many people, right? And but yet you have so much experience and so much under your belt that uh, you know we want we want to share that with people. So you're so going to interview me? Yeah, today All we're right. going to interview you. Um, and so it's an honor and a privilege to be able to be here and do this. So just take us back here, Larry. Uh, one thing that many people might not know is that you are an accomplished music artist. <laughs> I don't know if I'm accomplished. I was, Tell us about well, that. I learned what? to play the guitar at 16. I came from a musical family, and my okay. uncle kind of taught me to play the guitar and a couple friends. And we formed this little band. By the time I was 18, <laughs> we decided, let's do an album. So we've wow. got, we started this little band called The Harmony Three way the back. Harmony and Three. It's still being and sold I, today. Yeah, I hear that it's still being sold at <laughs> Ken's <laughs> Educational Music. <laughs> That's, what, that's, that's so, the last I heard. So your uncle is the one who taught you how to play guitar. Yeah, and my dad was a musician also, but he was not okay. a guitarist. My uncle was a you know, skilled guitarist, and I would just pick up chords from him. In right. fact, another thing a lot of people don't know is I taught a lot of people how to play guitar. I was a guitar right. instructor over the years, yeah. and I mean, most people I taught honestly play better than I do today. <laughs> so we yeah. we had this little album. It's called The Harmony Three. So back in the day, was it like Christian music? Was it? It was kind of folk music, gospel. I mean, I like in those days groups you probably never heard of. You know, groups like <laughs> well, you heard of Simon and Garfunkel. Oh yeah. Uh, we, we did yep. some Simon and Garfunkel stuff. We did some Peter, Paul, and Mary back in the day. Okay. It's, it's more folk, gospel. We wrote one song, mostly wow. cover stuff we did. So it was kind of kind of Christian folk. Yeah, so it was a, a group of friends that you got together and you, you started to put... You, so how did that happen? Like, was your heart to, like, go big? Was your heart to just play music? What yeah, was that's a of, great question. I don't even know. We just loved, you know, the first song I ever learned to play was I Walk the Line by Johnny Cash. Okay. <laughs> first song. Yeah. And we wow. simply lo- enjoyed learning together. And uh, so I played the guitar, learned the mandolin, played the ukulele a little bit, and a couple different wow. instruments, played the bass guitar. Hardly. Wow. Um, so anyway, yeah. we just did this album, and it did all right. I mean, weekends run every weekend someplace, you know. I, I think you actually taught my one brother. I did. You know, I, I forgot a, that. He was I a part did. of, yeah, he was a part of your that, students. That's the deal. So and I, that was back when you were a chicken farmer. Still, I was a right? chicken farmer. This was age 18. I was a chicken farmer, and, and I thought my whole life, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a chicken farmer, and I yeah. liked the farm life. And yeah. but God Now, did you grow plans. up on a farm? I did. My dad had a farm, and I grew up on the farm. I was a chicken farmer, beef farmer, whatever. In fact, okay. when I was really young, we had tobacco. We raised oh, wow. tobacco. You know, crop. Oh, and that was a cash crop back in those days. And yeah. really, when I really got right with God at 18, that's the time that we did the album. It all happened about the same time. Okay. When I really got right with God then, and then 
I still thought I'd be a farmer and just, you know, I'd love kids and reach kids for Christ, whatever, on the side. But I never dreamed in those days I'd be doing the kind of things I've done for the last 40 years. Yeah, wow. So so you were a chicken farmer, age 18, you did an album, and then you got married. Yes, and get married. I was a little bit about that. Like I was, was 20, Laverne was 19. She okay. would, or she'd say I was 19 and a half, you know. But, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's okay. not a little older. We were a bunch of kids getting married. Yeah. And then, you know, we were crazy. I mean, after three years, I'm sorry, three weeks of marriage, we became missionaries. And so, wow. we, yeah, so. It's trial we, by fire right yeah, there. Yeah, really. And we, you understand the mission thing you've done. Only we were stateside missionaries. Okay. We lived on an island off the coast of South Carolina. It was called John's Island. And we just ministered to people on the island for a year. So we did. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. And then you launched into ministry. Uh, just talk us through a little bit. Like, how did you know to transition from being a chicken farmer? Yeah. And then you got married. You were a missionary. Did you come back to being a chicken farmer then? Did you okay. go into full-time ministry from then? What was? I did not. I mean, I wasn't in full-time ministry until I was about 29, really. Okay. Okay. And what we did is we, and my life was so changed when, when Jesus changed my life so much. It was through Laverne, my wife's influence, really. Right. And when I really get right with God, I call it, you know, my come to Jesus moment, you know, <laughs> and uh, the Lordship of Christ became real to me. Right. I mean, I knew almost nothing about the Bible at all. I, I Even basic Bible stories. I didn't grow up in Sunday school. Even my parents took me to church okay. meetings, but I really just didn't know those things. I devoured wow. the scriptures, devoured the Bible. And my favorite book was the book of Acts. Because I loved the way the New Christian, the New Testament Christians were just seeing lives change. It was exciting. I often say everywhere Paul went, there's either revival or riot. And right, that's what right. Happened. Yeah. And we said, we yeah. want to live like this. You know, people coming yeah. to know Jesus every day. We want to live like this. So while I, before we got married, I'm, yeah, before we get married, before we went to the mission field, we started, help start with a group of, of Mennonite friends in our church. Laverne's daddy was a Mennonite pastor. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. So we all started this little ministry. Eventually it was, it was called Lost But Found, helping people lost but found by Jesus. Okay. And we went to a local community and, and we found kids who knew nothing about Jesus and just started to share life with them and just play yeah. baseball and basketball, whatever. And then through that, began to share Christ with them. Okay, so we went, so go ahead. you did for 10 years. We and did. I mean, so and then everything else kind of progressed from that. But when we right. come back from missions and being in the mission field, they invited us back. Hey, aren't you coming back to help us? So right. I was a chicken farmer. That's how I made my living. That's how I fed that was my your family. Financial engine. Mm -hmm. That was yeah. my financial engine. Okay. But on the side, almost every night of the week, we were, we started a Bible study for these young people who came to Christ. Wow. That's how I learned to teach. Uh, and then, yeah. We soon had so many of these young Christians started growing, and we we try to get them in the church. And so every Sunday night, row, this is back in the day when there were Sunday night church services. Okay. And what you did back then, no internet, you'd open up the newspaper every weekend, and you saw all the different things going on in churches all over Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, where I lived, yeah. and where we lived. And we'd try to find something, a good Christian movie, something that would relate to these young people, get so they could connect with the church somehow. So we did that for years. We did it for probably five, six years, or maybe more, seven years. So that was the time of like cutting your teeth, and that was probably really formational for you. It was in terms phenomenal of ministry, and that's so that's the yes. bedrock then that launched you into when Dove started, yep. when Dove International started, and you've you uh, talk to us about. <coughs> 
um, the underground church and where, like, okay. what was what was the key for that? I, okay, I, I know that you had said one time you felt a calling from the Lord. I did. Talk us through that. So you, you had a good formation in ministry with did. real discipleship. Yes, it wasn't just Bible college, though. Bible college right. is good, but it was right. it was very practical. It was right. hands on. You were applying that, right. and God began to speak to your heart. What, well, when we were in missions, like? we learned what's called Paul-Timothy relationships. I'd never heard of that, which okay. is mentoring, which is spiritual fathering and discipleship and all. That's where we kind of learned that a little bit. Right. So we brought that into into this youth, lost but found youth ministry. So we had all these people we designated who were stronger Christians and said, you mentor that person, and you be a Paul to this Timothy, guys with guys and girls with girls. And we were in that right. process. But then, as I mentioned, every Sunday night we're taking kids to church. The problem was they weren't fitting. I mean, some nights, Merle, we took more young people into churches with a couple of van loads who were new Christians. They were in the whole church. I mean, it was crazy. Right. And, and they were just raw, just found Jesus, you know, working through all their stuff. Right. You know, ended up casting out demons and all that stuff. We knew nothing about this stuff. And it, it was really our school, That's the right. Holy Spirit. Yeah, you know? because you came from more of like a conservative oh, background. I did. I did. The, the yeah. teachings about the Holy Spirit oh. were not... No, it was not, it was not present. Taught. And what was freaking me out, honestly, is we saw the Holy Spirit working in some of these kids' lives. And I was going, to, the only people who could help us when people had demons, the only people who could help us were these quote unquote charismatic leaders. And okay. so I had, one guy was on our board. So I'd, I'd you know, take young people to his house and he'd help us cast out demons. And I realized one day that they needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Another story all of its own. Right. And so I began to really be hungry for the Holy Spirit. And we went to Teen Challenge, which is is, you know, only less than an hour away from where we live, and because they had weekend services, and everybody knew about Teen Challenge, and there they said it's the Holy Spirit, it's being baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's what we need. So it was that kind of influence. Wow. So when I finally was baptized in the Spirit, it changed everything. Because we then we talk, had to, talk to us about that change. Because there's well, waves that have come since that time, yes. and there's more waves to come. Exactly. Well, the biggest change was I prayed different. And I thought mm. different. So before, you just take the principles of the Word of God. But from that time on, it was like, yes, you take the principles of the Word of God, but Christ is living in us today. Right. And we're believing God for miracles, and we're believing God to change lives. And I, I preach almost, I say preach, teach, almost the same kind of messages to these kids. But after I was baptized in the Spirit, all these people would come to Christ. And all these people's wow. lives yeah. would be changed. I remember one girl, one Saturday night, a Lutheran girl came to me, and she said, you make me so angry. And I said, why what did I do? I knew her for years. She said, because you were filled, you're built, baptized with the Spirit. I know you are. And you're not really telling. You were, I wasn't telling people about this right away. Okay. It was really controversial. I mean, you know, in those days. So I, I simply said, well, I, I'm, why are you saying all this? She said, because last Saturday night I went to a meeting and I was baptized in the Spirit. I know you're baptized in the Spirit. You're not telling people. And God gripped my heart. And I said, oh, God, I'm so wow. sorry. And then I was wow. open. I said, look, this is yeah. who I am. I love Jesus. I love the Holy Spirit. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. We pray for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It wasn't always received by everybody. But eventually then we started another Bible study that really focused on Jesus and being filled with the Spirit. And it was called Rainbow. We called it Rainbow right, Youth Ministries. Right. Yeah. And hundreds, probably thousands of young people came through that over the years. Uh, and that was kind of the next step in the journey. But back to your original, so there were, yeah, well, your original question was, you said, what about the, the underground church? Right. So that was the formation. It was all formation stuff. And yeah. some of these things are part of what you would term the underground church, right? The, the it, Kind it, of the story it, behind it the story. Is. And, and the here's how that happened. Formation. That was a... 
that changed my life. That one revelation of God changed the rest of my life. And the underground church revelation came when I was praying one day, but all these kids said, God, we can't get them in, into churches. Mm. But what we did, I should have told you, is after the church service, we'd come back to our house. I'd play guitar. We'd hang out. We'd pray for people. It was awesome. It was family. And what happened was we were the spiritual moms and dads, along with some others who work with us, to these kids and these new Christians. And they weren't going to fit into these other churches. And I realized one day you need new wineskins for new wine. Right. We need to have a new kind of church that would relate to this new this new generation in those days who just found Christ. So I'm praying when they say, God, what do I do? I, I never wanted to be a pastor. I, I never, you know, I, I love business. I love the farming deal I was in. I love kids. I want to lead kids to Christ. I was almost like the fisherman that loved the fish but didn't like to clean the fish, you know. <laughs> and so the Lord, it's one of those times when the Lord spoke, it was like an audible voice. I don't know if it was audible or not, but it was so clear, Merle. Wow. And the Lord said to me, are you willing to be involved with the underground church? And I remember I just wept because I didn't know what that, because those were the days way back, right. USSR, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I mean, Bulgaria, you know, Eastern Europe, all communists, underground church, read all the stories. And I'm crying. I'm saying, God, I'll do whatever. But then I began to realize over the next months and years that the uh, call of the underground church wasn't so much to those parts of the world, even though I've been there, right. many of those places. Right. But it was to seeing the church differently, that there's an underground part of the church. Talk to us about that. Okay. Is, well, look, if, if we were to you go outside and look at a tree, you say, oh, that's yeah. a nice tree. It's got branches and fruit and leaves and whatever. It's a great tree. But half the tree, Merle, is underground. It's the root system. Right. And so often what we've done is we focus on just what happens. We all see the meetings we have, and they're great. I love them. Yeah. You know, the great preaching, the great worship, and all this. And it's mm-hmm. great. It's, it's above the ground. You say the church, or some people say it's the building. We know it's not. The church is people. And buildings are great, but they, they house the church. But it's the underground part. And in the New Testament, they were focusing on the underground part of the church as much or even maybe more than the above ground part of the church. So talk to us practically, what are, like, what are the key components of the underground part of the church? Well, what, first, what are some of those key sure. components? Well, most of the New Testament was written about that. In other words, all the relationship scriptures, you know, and, and right. because the church has built a relationship, that's underground. Uh, leadership structures where you're caring about people underground. Having small groups, wherever you call those, where you're training people for ministry underground. You cannot equip the saints for the work of ministry without having, in a real way, without people having hands-on experience and opportunity. That happens underground. So in the New Testament church, you have to remember, I mean, there's, yes, there's the micro church and there's the mega church, but I mean, really, or macro, however you want to say it, but they met in Solomon's temple where there were some big meetings. You know, 3,000 right. came to Christ in Acts mm-hmm. 2. I get that. But most of it happened underground. It was the house-to-house ministry. So it was the relationship. It it was a relationship the, thing. It was training people behind the yeah. scenes. It's releasing people. It's believing that, that whatever's in people, they, the God will just ignite that and yeah. use them to go further, far ahead of anything we could ever do. You know, I did a study one time where it was following, following the relational channels in the New Testament. Right. Where, like, I mean, like, 
guys like Peter and Andrew right. were fishermen. James and John right. were fishermen. Right. They would have known each other. They did. And how they did. Like just kind of how John Mark was uh, the you know the nephew of Barnabas. Yeah, exactly. But then he traveled with Paul, and then later and was Peter, a scribe Peter. for Peter. Yeah, right? exactly. You know, Peter, Peter, and Paul both call him a right. spiritual son. That's so right. Just how all of these kind of things related together. I mean, Galilee was not that big. It was and not. So a lot of these guys would have actually sure. known each other in terms of the first apostles. They would have known each other yeah. uh, in some capacity. So the the you know Christianity traveled along those relational lines, it did. didn't it? I mean, and it still does today in so many ways. Right. Yes, I mean there's crusades right. and praise God for all that, but it's usually one on one. I ask this question all over the world. I say, when you came to Christ, tell me how it happened. I'll say, did it happen through a crusade? I might get one hand or two hands, mm. or did it happen through, you know, internet or whatever, get a few hands. I'll say, how many of you came to Christ because of a personal relationship that you had with someone, a family member, or someone that you knew and trusted, and because of their influence, that's how you came to Christ? And it's like 95% or more. Wow, wow. So yeah. why should it be different now? Sure. But that's the underground part of the church. Yeah. And we focus so much on the above ground, and I'm all for great meetings. I mean, I believe right. in great meetings. I love great meetings. Sure. I love to hear yeah. great preaching, all that. But really, the Bible focuses so much more on the underground part of the church. And that's what we were blessed to see happen. So when God, we asked, I should tell you the second part of the story. We we started, I was finally willing to be a a pastor of a church. Uh, When I was sitting in in Hammer Creek Mennonite Church, the pastors were my father-in-law, my brother-in-law, and my wife's uncle. It was a family deal. And there was one deacon. Wow. He was our neighbor. All right. So one Sunday morning between the no Sunday. No pressure. Right? No pressure. No pressure. It was just your, your in-laws. <laughs> right. Yeah. Between the Sunday school hour and the church hours, they called. I'm sitting there, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and he said, I've called you to start something new. And I knew what it was. It was wow. a new kind of church for these these kids who came to Christ and needed. They weren't yeah. fitting into our church or other churches. Yeah. They were just kind of waiting for us to obey God and do something. Wow. And wow. so. I remember I told Laverne, I said, I'm going to talk to you about something God just spoke to me about on the way home today. Didn't get a chance to talk because we were in the middle of the church service. And I walked after the service to the back of the auditorium, and there's a friend of mine, a Holy Ghost guy filled with the Spirit. He said, Larry, he said, I want to tell you something God showed me. He said, this week there's a meeting for people who are starting new churches. I think you should be there. That was my 100% confirmation. Wow, yeah. wow. So, we so t- talk us through that. because Was that then you were like, okay. We're going to start a church, and we it was stepped process. into it, and a few months well, later, you started, or what was kind well, of that? We really did. We probably, I'm like. guessing we started within a year after that, that, okay. that word. But it was a process. I talked to the leadership of our church. They right. said, go talk to some bishops. This is Mennonite, you know. Go right. talk to some bishops. And i never forget, they didn't know what to do with this either, because, you know, we wanted to start something new. It wasn't really Mennonite. But it was going to be a new kind of church, but we had no mentoring. We needed mentors. We needed help. Yeah. And so then I uh, began a form of prayer meeting. We prayed every Saturday morning at 5 or 5.30 in the morning. We'd pray. And, uh, in fact, some of those key people are still in uh, the first Dove Church. It's today, wow. Dove Wesley, they're still there today who helped to birth that in prayer. It's really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, and then we started with 25 brave people. I mean, we were seeing hundreds of young people every week into this Bible study called Rhema. But there's only a few people really willing to really take a step of faith with us. We had started a couple small groups, cell groups, okay. and we started that behind the scenes. 
And uh, so we so started. You were running like classes or Rama, like this we ministry. Were. It was all these ministry. things at the same time. Yeah. And then you were starting a church as well. On at, the at the same. Yeah. And you know, I, I found looking back, I found some people. Let's just start a church, and they wonder why it takes so long. But but we were involved in ministry to people. We just cared about people. And because yeah. of this ministry, we had these people wanted to become part of this new group. So one Sunday morning, I'd preach. The next Sunday morning, I did the kids ministry. I'm a lousy kids ministry. These poor kids. <laughs> I'm amazed they made it, you know. Uh, and and then we, we started to grow with about 50 people. And then we we kind of stagnated. And by the way, we did have two Mennonite bishops who were willing to meet with us once a month. And uh, I'll tell you how that happened. Because the, the bishops yeah. didn't know what to do with us. And so we said, could you help us? They didn't know. So they brought in a guy named Daniel Yutzi, who was well-known in those days. He was former Amish. He was a professor at a, at a university, I think, in Indiana or somewhere. Okay. And they brought him in. And they said, we don't know what to do with these guys. So we, we met with him and a whole bunch of these bishops. It was intimidating. And, and uh, he, they heard our story. And they looked at him and said, what should we do? And he said, release these young men and let them go. Wow. And because wow. he did that... There is a freedom for us to start this new thing. So, so we love we love the body of Christ, and of course, I didn't grow up. Men and I grew up Church of the Brethren, Mm -hmm. came into that through Laverne, Um, but we honor them for all they did. So we had for the first two or three years, we had these Mennonite bishops who helped us. Um, Anyway, yeah. So that you started with youth, though. Really, that was the target age. There was there was this. You know this whole movement with youth, but they were getting married now. See, they're getting a little older. So see, yeah. right, and so life was starting to happen for them. Right, and they needed a place to connect. Right, and uh, yeah, so that was probably a little bit easier too in terms of mentorship and it was giving it was people's lives. Yeah. So you were just a little bit ahead of them in age, I'm guessing. Yeah, well, I was or, like I said, 29 when we started. Okay, so, I was like the old guy, you know. Right, so 15 years ahead of them, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. or less, or less e- even less. I mean, some yeah. of them by this time were in their 20s, and when we started, they were like 13, 14, 15, 16. But okay. then by that time, they were like late teens, early 20s. Uh, yeah. Some of them, and then so we you had prayed. this army of youth also that yeah. were well, we were trained these youth on the side by the Holy Spirit, exactly, encountering exactly. Jesus all at the same time, and so they're reaching out to their friends. Too, exactly. And I'm that sure. was part of the key, I think, as to what happened. And then what happened is we began to grow. I mean, at first, we, we grew to about 50, maybe 60, 75 people, whatever. And then we stagnated. And we had a leadership issue. There's all underground stuff. There's stuff that happens right. behind the scenes. Our leadership yeah. issue is I bought into a theology in those days that said you have co-equal leadership. God's your leader. There's no leadership except you use a team of people. Oh. You do nothing unless you're all in agreement. Wow. And that's where we started. Yeah. Yeah. And it, Merle, it, it sounded, I can imagine. It sounded wonderful. It was terrible. <laughs> and part of it was my own insecurity, okay. even though I simply wasn't willing to give leadership. I mean, I brought, Laverne and I brought these people together. They were our friends. We brought them together sure. and brought some others we thought could help us. And why, why was it hard for you to take that kind of leadership step? Was it just because they were friends and you didn't know Well, some of that's true. You said some your of own insecurity. What was something? Well, some of that's true. It was your own insecurity. It was also this, this, uh, this uh, theology that said this is a way to lead. It was being taught okay. at that time, say. Okay. And so uh, we, well, what we did then is we went back to these Mennonite bishops, these couple bishops, and they helped us through that, which is right. a great blessing. And I realized, yes, 
uh, I realized God had called me to give leadership. I simply wasn't saying it because of the theology part of it, my own insecurities. Uh, and then after that kind of got fixed, we started to grow. Okay. Uh, because leadership, I, mean, I remember, right. here, here's how crazy it was. One Sunday morning, we had nobody preaching because we couldn't discern in a unity, six of us, who should preach. It was just crazy. Oh, wow. Okay. And so the people were wiser than so, we were. And they said, can we get together and talk about this? This is not working. <laughs> and then the bishops wow. helped us walk through that whole process. And then we started to grow, you know, 100, 200, 500,000. So you felt called, but you weren't necessarily embracing that call? Or was I did feel called. That you didn't, hadn't discerned the calling that? I, I felt called. I did feel called. I wouldn't have admitted the call. Uh, initially because of the teaching. Because the teaching was, you know, this is co-equal plurality. That's why you do it. Right. How much do you think, too, also a lot of times can play into this, that as a leader and as a developing leader, you think that these other people have the same perspective as you? Oh, I, I, that's a huge mistake. I mean, I thought everybody felt exactly like I think. How stupid. So, you, so you're, you're thinking that, well, they all feel the same way I feel. Exactly. They all see things the same way I right. see and things. And that was not the case at all. And these right. are really good people. Sure. Uh, and, but then after we got some of that change, then we really started to grow. So how did you help, how did you as an entire team at that time embrace that? Because that's really kind of the behind the scenes story. It is. Is you walked through that journey with people who were close to you. Right. Sounds like they were friends. Right. Uh, there were also, you know, people in the ministry with you. They were bought into what God was doing. Right. And you made a key uh, structural change. Right, we did. At that point. Well, the real key, so, it wasn't just my leadership, but there were two of us that kind of emerged from the team. And it's okay. my friend named Merv Charles. And so I was seen as a more apostolic leader. He seemed more of the strong prophetic leader. We really walked close together for many years. He went to Brazil and a planet church there eventually. Okay. Uh, so we worked together. So it was really the two of us, even meeting with the bishops, the two of us then began to meet with the bishops. That's another story because after three years or so, um, they, the bishops had a crisis because some of the other Mennonite pastors in the area said, these Dove guys, you know, D-O-V-E, Dove, I never liked that name in those days, by okay. the way. Yeah. I thought it was a bird church, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I really, I, but D-O-V-E, God gave it prophetically to my sister-in-law, her name is okay. Jeanette, and it was D-O-V, declaring our victory, Emmanuel. And we thought, okay, God gave it, we're going to go with it. Um, but after uh, a, a few years uh, in, in, that, in that whole process, uh, we, we just realized that well, I say we realized we we realized that, that some of the Mennonite pastors weren't very excited about us because okay. we weren't Mennonite. And I understand, right. I get it. I mean, I totally get it. So they talked to the bishops and they talked to us and said, you know, you need to decide: are you going to actually be Mennonite or not? I mean, I was ordained with the Mennonites. Merv was ordained with the Mennonites okay. uh, in those days. And they really helped us. They're phenomenal. I mean, we wouldn't be yeah. here. When I meet Mennonite pastors, I tell them, if it wouldn't be for you, we wouldn't have made it. Right. But then we so really, they kind of drew, drew a line of the sand. They did. They needed like, to. And, they really needed okay. to. So then we didn't have any oversight then after that. And we realized we were really called to be our own entity, do our own ordination and everything. Right. And Dev Christian Fellowship is what we called in those days, Dev Christian Fellowship International. And so... And then we started on this journey you know, without mentors, and that was a mistake we made. Because right. we then didn't have mentors. So, you know, 10 years later, 8 years later, whenever, we started to have some conflict in leadership, personalities, and whatever. We had right. no one to go to. We thought God's blessing us. We don't need that. Right. So at that point, I, I think, too, if I remember correctly, some of the Dove story yeah. is that, 
you know, there was some pretty massive growth over that time. Well, things we were, were growing, we, things were moving. Well, it was amazing. I mean, after we got yeah. to about, I'm saying 800 maybe, we were adding 300 people every year. I mean, it right. grew up to 2,300 people. And, it, and we, so we saw the blessing of God on it. It was just a God thing. We right. couldn't buy buildings large enough. You know, we, everybody met in, we believe in the underground church. Right. Everybody met in small groups. Everybody, we call, we call them for a while, house fellowships and home groups. And we kept changing the names, cell groups. We learned from Cho in Korea and whatever. But, but that was key for us. And I'll tell you why. Because we knew we were called to equip the believers not just have good preaching. I mean, right. every almost every week, people are coming to Christ. People are being filled with the Spirit in the public meetings. It was awesome. Mm -hmm. But then everybody got plugged into a small group somewhere. And we focused on that because we released people to minister. So we didn't do public baptisms. We had it happen in the small groups. We had communion in the small groups. We had, you name it. If they wanted to do it, they could do it. Yeah. And people said, well, it's going to split the church. It didn't. People were excited about working together, and they felt released to use the ministry gifts that they had. And yeah. it really worked. It took the pressure off of people like myself and others in leadership, because most 95% of the ministry was done by individual believers through these small groups. It wow. was amazing. So you had an empowering structure, an empowering we did. Uh, ethos and focus. Yes. Where Every person is valued. That's Every right. person needs to hear God. Yeah. Every person. Yes. And so that was kind of the story, a little bit behind the story. It was. The underground part of what God exactly. was doing. So you're saying that God was doing all this stuff, too, uh, and people were getting ministered to. Yes. There was growth. But then there was some still shake-up that was happening at like behind the scenes well, the, the shake-up shake was our key leadership and, mm -hmm. and we had you know many phases of that sure. but we simply we had different visions and different ways that we could take the right. whole church at that point at that time we had by that time we had planted a few overseas churches and uh, I mean you grow and you change and but our problem was we could have handled it we've often had the discussion since this happened with key leaders we could have handled it had we had outside fathers people to help mm -hmm. us and that's why the, the book of the Cry for Spiritual Fathers and Mothers came out of the pain we went through of not right. having that. Yeah. And we we made the decision that we're going to, I, mean, I almost quit. I mean, the church is going to over 2,000 people, look great on the outside, and I was dying inside. I wow. almost quit. Wow. And I remember I went to the mountains, and I really wanted to give this up, go back into business. And the Lord made it clear to me and to Laverne that because... He calls us into this, unless he uncalls us, we don't have a choice, you know. Right, right. And we're so grateful he gave us grace through that process. And then yeah. he began to give us some spiritual fathers and people to really speak into our lives. And so you don't have to tell us the name, but who was the first spiritual father that you kind of got out of that? Like, what was that? Well, I can tell you the name. I'd be happy to. The, the, really, I had a friend who I'd speak at conferences and he'd be there. And I knew him from the area and he had helped other churches in the area behind the scenes. His name is Keith Yoder. Mm -hmm. And and Keith, I went, finally went to see Keith one day, and I said, Keith, um, we need help. I don't know what what's going on, but, you know, I'm really hurting. Even if the, the things look great on the outside, I'm really hurting. Yeah. And, and by that time, a few people started to leave the church, go to other churches, and it was just a difficult time. And Keith believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. It was wow. the most amazing thing. Wow. Keith today is someone that I trust and I go to. And I've had other, you know, Floyd McClung was right. a spiritual father those for years, and, and there was I, lots of other names I can mention today, Tony sure. Marilyn Fitzgerald and others. Yeah. But 
but that's where that whole thing happened. But again, that was underground too. So often when I talk about underground leadership, it's the things behind the scenes. It's the relationships. Right. It's the people you trust. So we're, we all need people. We need mentors in our lives, true spiritual fathers. You can speak into our lives. I tell, I tell leaders all over the world, who can, I ask them, who can fire you? Are there people in your life, are you really under, under authority? People say, well, I'm, in, I'm the church leader. I have authority here. Well, you do have authority, but then you need to be under authority. They say, well, no, God's my authority. And I say, well, that doesn't work. I mean, that sounds nice, but it right. sounds spiritual. Right. right. That yeah. We all need people who can speak into us, mm-hmm. and there are people in my life who can do that. And to me, that's a really important underground principle. So we need people who are in relationships speaking yes. into our lives. We, yes. also, we also need to be speaking into other people's lives. That's right. That really kind of also can legitimize you know our That's walk right. is what who is following exactly. us and who exactly. we're pouring into yeah but the, the so. real key is empowerment use that word it's yeah. empowering and then protecting people and you know what often happens is mm. pastors tell me if i really have these small groups and these the, the groups that you're talking about, what if they plant a church? And I say, well, that's the goal. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's okay. You know, yeah. I mean, I have friends who say you can't plant a church within the whole metropolis, the whole city limit. And, and I say, you sure you want to do that? I mean, to me, it's, I mean, wow. yeah. to me, it, it's just let's release people with the gifts they have. They say, what if they make a mistake? They probably will, mm-hmm. but then be there for them if they come back. I say, they probably will. They might, yeah. and but it's okay. Well, we all make mistakes. We so do. Yeah. We've got to allow. Then every generation to make their own mistakes, but be there for them uh, if that happens. So empower and then release and then protect. So you have tons of uh, history and experience in this, Larry. Talk to us about bridging a generational gap. So you started out ministering to youth, those who were younger than you. And so you've seen, you know, different generations in the church and Dove is approaching 40 years. Yeah, we are. It's amazing. Which is wonderful. I mean, just as an movement. Long time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, talk to us about that. Talk to us about some things that you've seen, some trends that you've seen, and how to, how, you know, if I'm an older person, how do I bridge the gap to younger people? What what is important? Because that's, that's where some of this underground things, behind the scenes, this kind of breaks down. Well, the first thing I'd want to say is this. we need to, every generation needs to really honor the next generation and value the next generation. And they know whether or not they're honored or valued. We need to believe as Elijah found Elisha through the you know, province of God, and he, he had a double blessing, a double anointing. We need to believe that the next generation and the next generation will have a double portion. I mean, often it goes the other way. You know, there's, it starts out with this move of God, and it kind of dwindles. Right. But it should go the other way. Because we need to believe that. So I, I have found over the years, and I'm just learning how this whole thing works myself, but I've found over the years that, that this is more caught than taught. I mean, someone can tell if they're really valued or not. I mean, we, Laverne and I love every generation. And we especially love the younger generation. I'm excited about the Generation Z coming up now, you know. We love every generation. But they can really tell whether or not that's genuine or not. Yeah. And so I, I tell every older leader, make sure you're pouring your life into the next generations. He's the God of the generations. He's the God of Abram, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, and on and on. Mm-hmm. And, and if we've been around a while, there's probably three or four generations among us. And we need to honor all those generations. But here's what we have to remember. Historically, almost every move of God 
would persecute the next move of God. Mm. Almost always. Mm. I mean, my Assembly of God friends have told me that. When the charismatic movement happened, man, we weren't into that at all. We thought, if you want to be filled with the Spirit, you're going to become AOG. You know, they've told me that. And so I'm saying we've got to be very careful because every generation, next generation, will do it differently than we've done it. Same yeah. Jesus, same Bible, but they'll... Different this, procedure. Different, different procedure. Different and they should. Right. They need to own that. And and yeah. also, we look back. I go back in my life, made so many mistakes, and it's easy to say, oh, I want to make sure the next generations don't make that. They might make some of those mistakes. We need to allow them to make their own mistakes and be mm-hmm. there for them. Because if they make the mistake and come back, they'll never do it that way again. And it's okay. We need to allow research and development in the church. We allow that. that business thinks it's wonderful. Oh, we tried that. didn't work. Okay, we'll try, we'll try something else. But in the church, we think, well, because we hear Holy Spirit, and we do, they should be perfect. Right. And it's not always. And we need to find ways that we can really encourage people to dream and next generation to dream yeah. and be there for them and, and bring them into the equation. Well, and that can be hard, too. I mean, as a leader, you've poured your life and soul right. into this. And right. now you see somebody who's going to do it differ- maybe right. differently than you. Right. or you right. know, And you're like, right. you know, I mean, right. I just within my own life, you know, you're like, oh, like I, w- I want to step in and bail that person out. Yeah. Or they're going to make that mistake. And, oh, you know. Yeah. But so how, walk us through, like, how do we release some okay. of that? And, and what are some key components, too? like some key performance mm-hmm. indicators of just being able to release people, being able to embrace the next generation, how you mentioned they need to know they're valued. How, yes. and, and, you know, Larry, you'd really do that well. Oh, I appreciate you that. Do Thank that you. Well. Thank what you. are some things that you intentionally do that maybe others don't see it, you know, uh, mm-hmm. they, they feel it from you, but they don't necessarily know that you're actually kind of telling yourself, I need to make sure that I do this. Well, what number one, there is tremendous power released from encouragement. A lot of my generation will say, well, we need to make sure that you know, we help the next generation do this right. And I'm saying, well, yes, I hear you, but there's a, there's a lot released, there's a lot of power released from God and encouragement. Mm-hmm. If we can simply encourage people when the steps are taken. Number two, Ask a lot of questions. I find if I can just ask what's inside you, but just tell people all the answers that we think we know, but ask them mm-hmm. questions. What do you see? What do you sense God doing? What do you sense God saying? What's the best way to be sure generation? How can I help you do that? When I was a younger leader, I love to tell people how, how it works. You know, this is what I've learned. You can do it this way. Older I get, the less I do that. And we've talked about this before. I find now the best thing to do is say, look, this is what the scripture says. And this is what I've learned. Mm-hmm. And you go and figure it out, and I'm here for you, and I'll help mm-hmm. you walk through the process together. Because they, every generation needs a sense of ownership. They don't need people to tell them how to do it. A sense of ownership in the process. The process is key. Mm-hmm. The relational, it's all underground principles. Yeah. It's the process of how we help the next generation walk through the moves of God. Well, that's so important. I think what it does is it ties your relationship to something other than performance. Correct. Correct. Which is really important that like I'm not here for you if you perform well. Right. I'm here for you whether you perform well or not. Exactly. And and so I think you know that uh, that is something that a younger generation appreciates right. to say, you know what? Like somebody's there with me. They got my back. They're going to be praying for me. I might make a, you know, <laughs> make a mistake. I might fall flat on my face. Yeah. But they are going to be behind me. Exactly. And they'll still be there. And I think that, you know, it's not tied to performance as much. We, we live in such a performance-driven society. Exactly. You know, especially, you know, the younger generations where 
everything's expected to be right. perfect. You you got to decide your life goals right. by the age of like fifteen yeah. now. Obviously, it's crazy. Yeah. You know? The other thing that's really important is that you know Jesus made disciples. The most mm-hmm. important thing, other than going to the cross and giving his life for our sins. Next most important thing, John seventeen four, you know, he says to the Father and he's praying, you know, right. he says, you know, I've finished the work you've given me to do. Well, what was that work? He made disciples. The rest of John 17, he's talking about right. his disciples. Because he had not and, been to the cross yet. He had not. The right. finished work of the cross hadn't happened yet. But yeah. he said, I finished. That work was he made disciples. Now, I find that is so important that, that we make disciples like Jesus did. Mm-hmm. And, you know... A lot of people react when I talk like this, and they'll say, well, I can't be everybody's friend. You can't. But you need to hear from the Lord, pray like Jesus prayed, and know who are those few persons that you can be a real spiritual father to a real mentor to. You can't do it to everybody. Of course not. So Jesus had Peter, James, and John, mm-hmm. and yet he had John, his close disciple, yeah. you know, and then he had the 12, and then yet he had the 70 or 72, depending on the translation of the Bible you use, and then he had the 120, and he had the multitude. He had these levels, mm-hmm. and that's really important for us to understand. So when we're talking about underground leadership, we need to know who are those the Father's given us for the season. It's all for mm. a season. It can change. I think that's so good that sometimes it's for a season. Because mm. yeah. you know, I've talked with leaders who say, I have no one. I have no one to pour into. I don't have any spiritual sons or I've not been able to raise up a team yeah. or I have, yeah. you know, I just, I don't have anyone to pour into. And then sometimes when they try and do it, it's almost too pushed or too yeah. mechanical. Yeah. You know, They're just trying to pick out yeah. anybody. I think it's really important, you know, talk to somebody maybe who might be in that position. That's a painful position, I think, yeah. sometimes. And yeah. it's not what God has called for any of us. Right. Well, I'd say if you're in that place, it's never too late. There's always Amen. the opportunity to ask God, who are, is there a person, starting with one, a person that I could pour my life into, whether or not they help us with the ministry we're involved with or not. That's not the key. The key is we love the person, we're called to the person, we want to help them. And also, I believe God restores the years of locusts of Eden. That's in the scripture, and you know that, and I know that. And so my heart for you would be that you would ask the Lord, say, Lord, regardless of what happened in the past, I want to see the rest of my life be a, be a season of my life whereby I am pouring into another generation. And whether it's somebody just a bit younger than you, who's been around a long time, or somebody really young, I mean, be free to skip a couple of generations. And it can be those who are 18 or 19 or 20 or 21 or whatever age, that you can just find one and pour your life into them. And you'll find great blessing, great benefit from them. Also, also speak to the person who doesn't have anyone speaking into them. They say, I yeah. need spiritual mothers and fathers. Great. I need, yeah. Yeah, how do I yeah. go about getting well, first that? How do of I all, find uh, one? I hear you. Or I've been in an abusive system, oh. and, and you know I, I've tried to. And we should take, probably do a whole, we should probably do a whole <laughs> separate discussion on that. Sure, yeah. I mean, I mean, so many who've been abused by those who call yeah. themselves spiritual fathers, and they were not. And that's been you, somebody who's called themselves a spiritual father. First of all, if they claim it's for life, run, <laughs> you know, because the only person you're connected to for life is Jesus wow. and the Heavenly Father. And now it's, it's interesting. I mean, I work with a group of leaders here for 35, you know. 40 years yeah. and I've been so blessed you know to work with these leaders and uh, and it has been a long-term relationship but just because uh, it doesn't have to be that and so and I also f- have, have found I want to say this and I'll, f- mm. I'll finish this uh, in just a moment and I want to say this and that is that 
I believe we need to understand that those who are that were spiritual fathers to spiritual mothers to uh, obviously spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers uh, that it could be people younger than us, it could be people older than us. I mean, mm-hmm. God's the one who puts this whole thing together. We got a lot of God to do that. Yeah. yeah. So I pray healing over you if you've been mm-hmm. hurt by a spiritual father or mother. I I mean, I feel that pain. I I just declare the healing presence of God over your life in Jesus' name, and you mm-hmm. will find healthy spiritual fathers, even one. And remember the rule key is this cast your bread upon the waters and it will return in many days in other words go make go find a spiritual son or go find a spiritual daughter Mm -hmm. and god will give you spiritual fathers and give you spiritual mothers that's been Mm -hmm. the experience i've had so being being who you don't have to somebody exactly you start there and let god feel and i've told god often in those days if no one's ever spiritual father to me you're the spiritual father i mean Mm -hmm. we're always pushing ourselves and pushing others up to yeah a true spiritual mother and father you know, sometimes you said if they th- if somebody says it's for life, run. You know, I I think too like there's multiple spiritual fathers there and are. mothers because there are really a spiritual father is just represents a part exactly. of the father heart of God exactly. to us, exactly. maybe for a season or for a period of time, and it can be for our whole life, but right. it's still only a part of the father yeah. heart of God, and there's no one person in the earth that can carry the fullness of the heart of the father for you exactly you know so i think it's so good that there's just multiple you know people speaking into your life the other thing i want to say is that spiritual if we are spiritual father spiritual mother somebody eventually and this is a long-term relationship eventually they become your peers Mm, really you're right. speaking to one wow. another's lives and That's i have true. many in my life now i mean i feel honored as a spiritual father in their life but i don't even think of it that much like that it's like we're peers we're working together we're serving together around the world it's been yeah. an amazing thing yeah so That's i think wonderful. there's a lot more we could share and we probably we probably need to do this again there's yeah. so much here sure. yeah yeah so yeah. i'd say for yeah. you we're so glad you joined us today and I declare the blessing of God over you. If you need a spiritual mother, need a spiritual father, declare the blessing of God to be over you. And God will give you grace to find the right person. Yeah, and yeah. also, as you're, not only, uh, as you're called to be a spiritual father, spiritual mother, God will connect you in relation as you trust him. Jesus prayed all night and called the 12 from those he knew. And uh, God will do that. He will give you the spiritual sons and daughters that yeah, he's man. called you to pour your life into, yeah, that he would be glorified on the earth and because that is what he's called us to do so. and these are the relationships these type of spiritual mother and father relationships are are that underground it's the scenes they behind are. the scenes like so many times you know so many times uh, we talk about structures and right. we talk about organizational things and, it's the relationship this is like the gasoline in it the is. tank that it allows is. the whole engine to run whatever your engine is whether it's a v8 yeah. or whether it's yeah. you know a, a tank engine whatever. and we need structure we need all that but sure. that's not bottom line this is right. the life flow right and it and uh, so that's important why it's so there. important yeah yeah well, thanks for joining thanks. us today we look yeah. forward to having you back again as we talk more about underground leadership and all these kinds of relational leadership issues Thank you for listening to Larry Kreider's Leadership Podcast. If you want more information about any of Larry's books, daily devotionals, small group resources, or any other teachings, go to LarryKreider.com.